chilling greetings my friends thank you so much for stopping by and making paranormal prowlers podcast part of your day those tunes you just heard are as always courtesy of the phenomenal bobby Mackey, and i'm of course your host tessa morrow i have a dear friend from across the pond joining us today i have had the pleasure of having ian on my radio show a few times and he's been on a few episodes as a voiceover so his friendly voice may sound familiar, and now I'm stoked to have him on a full episode of the podcast. And he's also been featured in my second book, so he's a pretty cool dude. Ian Vero is a paranormal investigator out of Hastings, located at the south coast of the ever-so-gorgeous England. He is the founder and lead investigator of his team, Residential Haunting, Now, most of Ian's cases involve him and his team going to people's homes, a place where you should feel safe, but where they feel anything but. They come with respect and honor and try their hardest to get answers and resolution for the families. We will hear about some of these cases where, of course, the people involved will stay anonymous. It's different going and investigating asylums and jails, brothels, and hotels versus somebody's home. And we will hear more about that later on as well. Ian Vero, my dear friend, it is so great to talk with you again and have you on the podcast. Yes, yeah, great to be back. Yes, pleasure is all mine. Welcome to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. You live in Hastings, a place just absolutely filled to the brim with history. For a moment, let's talk a bit about some of that haunting history. Okay, well, we've got 1066, which if many people don't know, is uh, the big battle of Hastings, although it took place in a, in a small subsidiary of Hastings called Battle, the fighting was all the way across the coastline to the castle, so we've got all that history. Yeah. Then we have the uh, the smugglers. There's still the tunnels all along underneath the seafront that they used to run all their uh, illegal contraband through. We also have Mr. Crowley, of course. That's who, right. Uh, Hastings. Alistair Crowley, that's right. So... You guys are from the same stomping grounds. And so most of us know who this is, but for those who don't, who are listening, real quick, just talk about Aleister Crowley, if you will. Yeah, Aleister Crowley, he started off, he was one of the founding members of Scientology, which uh, he then decided, because he didn't like the way it was going, to leave and start his own society called Thelma. He was involved, I don't know if any of you have watched Hellier, but uh, they mentioned Crowley in that because he was involved in a lot of the alien contact or supposed alien contact that started with Scientology. Uh, So he was quite involved in that. 
he then became a self-proclaimed king of the witches and very near the end of his life he actually went dark side and started doing the occult and satanic rituals and actually placed a curse on this town. Oh, jeez. He then died here, so... Is he buried there? No, he was cremated in the next town because they refused to do it here. Oh, it's like, you curse our town, you're uh, you're kind of done. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Ian is actually, in book number two, he has his own very own chapter, and so he kind of talks a bit about uh, the Battle of 1066 and the smuggling caves and just so many interesting things. I mean, they were even smuggling in, like, herbs and spices, right? Yeah, almost anything yeah. you could think of, yeah. Yeah. Potatoes <laughs> and goodness knows what else. Right? <laughs> yeah, things that we take kind of for granted, as you could see in the video. Look at all my spices back there. <laughs> <laughs> None of them smuggled, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> So, Ian, what are some of the most haunted locations in close proximity of you? We have Michelin Prairie, which is in Hailsham, probably about 30 minutes away. That's quite active. I actually did an investigation there with uh, a famous UK parapsychologist called Kieran O'Keefe mm. and uh, an events team. That was very entertaining. We virtually convinced Kieran that there was something he couldn't explain, which is a first for a parapsychologist. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. We have Hastings Castle, which has notoriously got two ghosts of one of Thomas a Beckett, supposed to haunt the castle, and a nun. Mm. It's also supposed to be seen on the hill. St Mary in the Castle has got, uh, which is, it used to be a church and still got the crypt underneath with bodies in it. But it's now used as a music venue and many people performing on stage have seen the ghosts walk across the back of the auditorium. Oh, wow. <laughs> sort of mid, mid for a song and gone. <laughs> we also have the White Rock Theatre, which was built on the grounds of an old infirmary, but they left the basement. So it's basically just built the new building on the basement. Oh, interesting. The morgue and everything is still there. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, True Crime Museum, which is just along the road from there, which is full of old uh, serial killer artifacts and such likes. That's very active. And, of course, Crowley, the caves at the back, Crowley had an altar there. Wow. So he's active down there as well. Did I see somewhere on social media that you were involved in a investigation there at the True Crime Museum not too long ago? Yeah, we've done a couple. Get any evidence? Oh, we got evidence. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, about three o'clock in the morning, there was two groups of us, and one was in one area, we were in another, and we were just general chit-chatting amongst ourselves, and as clear as a bell, a young girl's voice said, Mama? Wow. And it was so loud that every piece of equipment picked it up. Oh, that's awesome. Actually, here... And I was down there recently with uh, Barry Guy, who's a TV yeah. guy in the UK. I, he was down there, so I met up with him, and we were just talking. And he, they had the same stuff. The young girl started talking, 
and we also heard metal being dragged across the floor, which is something we heard when we were investigating, and it was virtually feet away from me, and there was nothing there. Oh, geez. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah, but I, um, during my radio days, I had Barry Guy on once. I think you were on actually three times, right? This is the third time, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought this was the fourth time. I'm yeah. Sure, yeah. I'm sure this is the third time. <laughs> like, I think it's good, mate. <laughs> yeah. Well, there will be a fourth time, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. I love getting that type of evidence that where they're communicating with you, you're getting answers, you're, you know, like that little girl, you know, calling out mama and everybody heard it. And all the, you know, all your recorders are catching it. It's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, you can't beat that. Yeah, you really can't. So, Anne, what was your first experience when it comes to the paranormal? Your introduction, if you will. Well, I was introduced at a very young age. I was only five. First ghost I saw was a house. Me and my mum moved in with my stepfather. I was in bed one night and we had a dog who would never go upstairs for obvious reasons. <laughs> I woke up, the dog was there, I called it over, and I went to stroke it and fell for it. Wow. So it, it wasn't their dog. <laughs> <laughs> and then just after that, a full-blown apparition of a man standing at my bed, to oh, which wow. my mother came in and saw the same guy stood there staring he turned and looked at her and then disappeared oh wow so before this happened would you say your mother was a skeptic or was she my mother wasn't but my stepdad was yeah he isn't he isn't anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's great it's good that your mom actually saw it too because you see in so many cases where the child is seeing an apparition or an entity of some sort and mom or dad they're just like oh it's your imagination it's like well sometimes it's not and so that's good that your mom well like you said your mom was was never a skeptic but it's good that somebody else saw it too to kind of validate okay you're not going crazy you're not like you know just imagining things no no many other people witnessed stuff there friends family people that were complete skeptics themselves yeah Yeah, that shouldn't change their minds (laughs) Right. Is that home still in your families? No, no, but it's local to me. I'm only five minutes around the corner from it, so... Oh, that's cool. So we do intend to go back there at some point and investigate. Yeah, do you know the people who live there now? No, I will have to go knocking on doors. (laughs) Yeah, that would be kind of interesting. Yeah, that's cool. That's neat that you actually live so close to your childhood home. I... You know, me, I wouldn't even be able to point out where that mine is right now. (laughs) No, that's neat for sure. So how did it come about, Ian, you investigating people's homes? Because there's a total difference between me and you. We're both paranormal investigators, but me, I'm more like, okay, I'm going to go to the mortuary, the brothel, not to work, mind you, but investigate <laughs> <laughs> the asylum. But you, you actually go to people's homes and totally different type of investigating there. What got you into doing that? Well, mainly because when we were experiencing the activity we were having, which was constant, it was almost every week there was something happening. Mm. 
there wasn't many people to go to. We had a local ghost hunter called Andrew Green, who's you know, he's published many books. Mm. Basically, there weren't that many people around that you could go to. So many years of trying to walk away from the paranormal, I tried several times and it just kept dragging me back in. So I decided to start researching. And then after many, many years of research, I thought, well, do you know what? We need to, I need to set up a team that is basically to help people out that were going through what we were. Right. Giving people an avenue to go to when they need help. So that's how I started. That's awesome because, like I said, it's not for everybody. I, me and you have talked about this before, but I actually tried to help a friend out before. Her house was extremely active. And she thought it was a mutual friend, but it ended up being something completely different. But after I left, she said it got hell of a lot worse. And so, you know, yeah. like I said, just a totally different type of breed of investigator. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's very much like that. I mean, the problem is once you start investigating a private case, you just got to keep going because inevitably, as soon as someone goes in and they're willing to communicate and try to get answers, it ups the ante. The activity just goes through the roof. Yeah. Um, and normally when you're not there. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a hard, you know, it's not just, you're not just trying to get evidence, you're trying to solve a problem, which, you know, a lot of the time it can be a long, painstaking investigation, but that's just the way it is. Right, absolutely. So I know each case and investigation is different. But walk us through your process of getting ready for a case, and what do you do, if anything, to protect yourselves from malevolent spirits? I mean, generally, we get either an email or contacted through Facebook or Twitter, and then I will have a phone conversation and a chat, see what they think's going on, and then decide from the phone call whether it's legit. Yeah. And, you know, there's not other any underlying issues it could be like mental health and then we we will arrange to go and visit or maybe i'll just you know a couple of us will go there and just have a chat see if anything happens while we're there and then we'll arrange a full-on investigation uh, generally protection wise i like to go in with none yeah to start with because it you know you can pick up more uh you, you know even the everyday person will sense the atmosphere changing. Mm -hmm. So if you put protection on or anything like that, you could restrict that. So I like to go in, and then if we have to, right, then you uh, then you bring in. But we we do all sorts of things. I mean, like the the team is very varied in its belief systems. You know, I'm, I was brought up Christian. Tony's. You know, he's Tibetan. Yeah. Follows Tibetan religions. Brandon, our medium, is actually Buddhist. Oh, wow. And, and he does, you know, he acts like a shaman most of the time. <laughs> so we come from different, you know, religious backgrounds, which gives us a good aspect at attacking it head on. So, yeah. You know, if one thing doesn't work, we try something else. So. Right. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> so, 
are there like any certain cases that kind of take precedence over others? Like I would assume like if children are involved, maybe that would be a priority. Oh, yeah, always. Yeah. yeah. Children's always a priority. If right. they're the if they're the victims of the situation, then yeah. Yeah. We'll try and get them as quick as we can. Right. And I know during a conversation and I kind of refreshed by reading your chapter in the book, but I, I liked how you said how when you guys go to investigate a house, you leave the family there. You don't like have them stay in some hotel like a lot of shows do because, and it makes sense. Obviously the haunting's usually around them, you know, that it's attracted to them. So yep. if you take the the, the people out of the house, it's going to be totally different. And that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, they're, they're the principal victims of it. So plus the fact you can educate them while you, while you're investigating, you know, telling them, you know, this is not something to worry about, you know, yeah, uh, what to do if this happens, you know, it's, it, it just makes the whole thing quicker if you don't take them out. Right. Plus, that we we don't we don't use Ouija boards or any method that could cause a cause a problem with them being there. So, right. The levels mainly on us. We do the investigating. We're the ones communicating. I always tell people never investigate your own house. Yeah. Uh, if we leave, we're the ones that are willing to communicate, not you. So, right. They're more than likely leave you alone. Yes, absolutely. What's one of your most memorable cases? And I understand, like, you know, keeping people anonymous for respect of the families, but which investigation at somebody's house sticks out most to you? We have a few. I guess a, a possession we dealt with that was uh, quite mind-boggling. Well, that wasn't what we class as a demonic possession. It was basically a walk-in. A ghost decided it was going to wear this woman for the day, so... Hmm. Which was bizarre because she was talking with a man's voice, but oh wow! Yeah, it was a very, very. It's one of those situations where you think, "Am I actually going to get home tonight?" Because it, it was just off the off the cuff the whole way through. At one point, I think she was walking around the kitchen with a knife in her hand, and we're thinking, "Okay, how do we do with this?" <laughs> Luckily, we got the situation under control, and uh, all all came out well in the end. Yeah. So, you certainly don't want too many of those. Yeah, well, that's a good thing. <laughs> Possessions are never, you know, speaking of possession, have you yourself ever been possessed or had to deal with having an attachment? Yeah, I've had an attachment, which uh, you know, used to make me quite moody. So it was very noticeable straight away. Because as Tony would say, never miserable. But yeah, got that dealt with quite a way. I've had I can't remember what we were doing now, but I think we were just, we were investigating a case and we were at my house and I had one speak through me and I was completely oblivious to it. Oh, wow. But, but my brother and the medium were just sitting there absolutely open mouth saying, what did you just say? And I had no recollection at all. Yeah. Wow. So you say you have no recollection of it. So you don't remember how your like your body felt, or you don't remember anything about it. Just no. All I felt, I had my hand yeah in front of me when I was sort of asking questions, and all I felt was like something pull my hand. Yeah. As I came back to, and I made a comment about, oh, did you see my hand get pulled in? 
No oh, wow. Was sitting there looking at me ridiculously. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, when you were talking about that, it kind of reminded me of a friend of mine, and you you might even know him because he's he's across the pond as well, Gary Fields. Yes, heard of Gary. Yeah. Yeah, I know that that has happened to him a few times too, where it was even caught like on on video where the spirits using his body and like his like face kind of like changed. Mm, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad I'm not a medium. Me too. Yeah. That would be pretty overwhelming. I see people who deal with that and kudos to them who do that. Yeah. Being a sensitive enough for me. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So evidence, let's talk about evidence, my friend. I know you talked a little about some of that already, but what are some EVPs that you have captured throughout the years? Some of your most favorite ones, and how about some photographic evidence? Oh, EVPs. We've had quite a few. The one that probably stands out the most. We were looking for the identity of a young teenage girl, and we actually had. The word white star come through, and I think you wrote this in the book. The white star came across on the camera. Yeah. And when we sent the researcher off to try and check a load of stuff out, she recognized white star as being the Titanic shipping line name. And when she was looking through the list, she came across a name of a girl that was related to one of the survivors of the Titanic. Wow. So Yeah, that's amazing. You know, an EVP that puts you in the direction of someone's name is, you know, identity. Yeah. You can't, can't beat that, can you? No, no, you can't. No, that is phenomenal for sure. Yeah, and it just gives you chills. Every time I think Titanic, I just think of what those poor people went through. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to, you know, someone mentioned on a Facebook page once, you know, how haunted is a Titanic? I said, well, you know. Could you imagine if you actually got down there and did an investigation, if it was possible? Right. Yeah. yeah. There's just certain places, like like you were just saying, the Titanic, where I would be like, man, to be somebody with the recorder and to see what kind of evidence, you know, what kind of EVPs you could get. I mean, it would just talk about bone chilling. Yeah. It's probably a very few places in the world that could be that active. Yeah, exactly. So you just mentioned the possession case. Would you say that is the most bizarre case that residential haunting has been a part of? Pretty much, Anything else come close to it? One of our earlier cases where, well, it was actually where the white star thing came in, but we had 35 ghosts there in total. 35? Um, Wow. There was a man a woman who ran a workhouse with children mm. and the rest of the ghosts were children. Oh, and they'd wow. they trapped, trapped them there. Like a fire? No, no, they'd actually killed the children. That's what we discovered while investigating. Oh, my God. And they were in the ground somewhere. You walk into the place and it was, you know, uh, they had the heat on full and you went upstairs it was ice cold. Yeah. Absolutely freezing. And it was just constant all night activity. We heard footsteps on a wooden floor, yet the whole place was carpeted. 
Wow. Uh, doors shutting. Camera got knocked twice by something passing it. Black shadows around the place. We actually caught a thermal image of a door that wasn't actually there. Are you really? Like a portal, do you yep. think? That was a door. Interesting. It a door, and it was in a wall. Yeah, and so did you say this is where you got the White Star EVP? Yes. She was uh, apparently the. She was an older kid who was, whose job was to look after the children, basically. Yeah. And she had passed over and come back because they were trapped there. So she, you think she was there still looking after the children yeah, even in no, death? Yeah, she, oh, how heartbreaking! So I assume this murdering duo got caught. No, no, they didn't. It was a you know old child workhouse. They virtually. Did what they wanted. Mm. Uh, the kids were their slaves, basically. So, jeez. And what did she do with them? Did she just like bury them on the property or something? Or yeah, they were buried around the grounds of the house. Yeah, which originally was it was a workhouse on the on the same grounds. They were buried probably fairly nearby. I always hate when something like that happens. Just in general, you know, think about the victims. But I hate when they don't get busted and when they don't get caught. You know, it's like they yeah. got away with murder. I, I get busted eventually. Yeah, <laughs> they're getting theirs right now. I bet, but oh, yes. <laughs> would be nice if they got it when they were still alive. <laughs> How about photographic evidence? And have you guys gotten any of that lately? Not so much photographic. We've got stuff on camera. We had an apparition from the waist up, which walked in a window, mm. looked at the camera, walked off and went back out the wall. Oh, wow. Man or woman? Hard to tell. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to tell, but uh, it was only picked up in full spectrum. So Incredible. Yeah, you got to love those full-bodied or partial-bodied apparitions. I mean, just like EVPs, those are just such precious pieces of evidence, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, speaking of photographic evidence, I know from a earlier conversation a few years back, you had shown me a picture, and I believe it was of you on your wedding day, and yes, talk about yeah. that. I thought that was so incredible. Really neat story. Yeah, we just got, well, of course, we just got married. We were having our photos taken at the, the venue of the reception, and we were stood under an archway. The photographer had taken about 17 pictures, I think, and when it came, she sent us the photos afterwards. I, you know, I was looking through them, and all the ones under the arches weren't there. I said, so what happened to the ones under the arch? She said, well, she said, I can't explain it, but she said, they're all blurred. So yeah. I was like, okay. It's just how it happens that a relative of my wife's had taken a picture from, from an angle, and she'd actually got a picture of us and sent it to us, and in the picture, you can see my granddad's face in profile kissing me on the cheek. Isn't that so, so precious? That is so awesome. And at this point of your wedding... Had he been gone for a long time, or was it recently that he passed? He'd been dead 20 years. Oh, my God. So that's really neat to think that even though he's been dead for, well, you know, two decades, that he was there to watch his grandson's wedding, you know, like be part of your, what what many people would consider one of the most important days of your life, getting married to your your true love, and 
he was there for that. That is so cool. Yeah, he was probably thinking about time. So I didn't get married till I was 46, so. Hey, that's okay. Sheesh. <laughs> I know some people who are like 80 when they get married. Age is just a number, my friend. It's just true. So due to this multi-year inconvenience, this shitstorm that we know as COVID, have you yeah. had to stop going to people's homes or are you able to now do that again? We haven't started yet because they haven't dropped all the restrictions. So we basically not investigated for two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah, we sort of have a quiet spell coming up to Christmas. And we usually don't pick up again till February. As soon as they drop the restrictions here, the problem is we don't want to go out and start and then have to stop again. So, which doesn't help the client whatsoever because we could go and investigate, activity goes up, and then we have to step away. Which yeah. Right. Um, so, as soon as all restrictions are dropped, we'll be back out again. Yeah. So do you have people, even though restrictions are still going on and you're not able to go anywhere at the moment and investigate, do you still have people calling you or reaching out saying, hey, can you please come or can you put us on a list or do you have a list of people that you're ready to help out when you are able to again? Yeah, we've got about five cases ready to go. Oh. Um, so yeah, we'll be busy once we get started. Yeah, and that has to be really hard, you know. It's like... They're not like you and I, where we are looking for this, you know, where we enjoy communicating with the deceased. They are like, this is our home, our safe haven. We, we, you know, want peace and quiet. And because of this whole COVID thing, they're not able to get it. So that must be, that must put you and your team in kind of a rough spot, huh? Yeah. And so much for the fact as well, because of COVID, people spending more time at home. And mm -hmm. that probably magnifies the situation. Right. I mean, if there were somebody off chance that is around your area and who is listening and who's actually going through things, is there any kind of word of advice that you want to give them? I would keep a diary of everything that happens, write down time of day it happens, what day it happens, you know, and any sort of pattern that emerges can be very helpful and also try i know it's hard but try to ignore it yeah because the more, the more you react to something the more it's going to happen right just straight faced ignore it and that's what i do when i bring stuff home yeah you know, he's floating about the house you know <laughs> things bouncing off of it you just ignore it don't even react and they get bored and leave you alone. Right. Well, so Ian, has there been many times where you have brought something home with you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. My, yeah. my, uh, my wife finds it entertaining. Uh, the cat doesn't like it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it does happen on occasions. Sometimes they're just inquisitive. You know, they're just because you've communicated with them, they follow you home. They want to carry on talking, but of course you come home, you're not at the case, so. Right. Yeah, it is hard to separate going and investigating and then your private life at home. Again, a safe haven, and it's like 
it's not that we're afraid of it, but it's kind of like, okay, we need a break. There should be an off button and there's not an off button because, you know, so I, I am always curious about that when people bring things home, because I, as you know, have brought stuff home in the past and I always like to hear other people's experiences with those encounters. And it's so funny because there are so many people, Ian, where they have said, yeah, I told them to leave and they leave. And I'm like, why did I do that? Why why did I let this guy stay with me for a whole month? And and here we are talking about my attachment and he was legally hanged. And look, uh, you guys were doing video chat right now, but look at my little earrings, my little noose guy. But it's it's so funny. So it's like, well, if that happens again where somebody comes home with me, I'm going to tell them to hit the bricks in a very kind way. Obviously, I'm not going to be yeah. pro- provoking because that's against my that's my number one rule not to do that. But yeah, it's good to put that guard up, you know, when we're doing what we do. <laughs> I mean, pretty much if you tell something to leave your home by rights, it should do what you ask because it's invading your space at the end of the day and you know maybe six six out of ten will do exactly that because they've just they're inquisitive they don't want to cause any hassle uh there's only you know the the small percentage of ones that will defy you but uh generally they will if you ask them to leave they will in my case anyways and i won't get long into it because I already covered this like in the beginning of the podcast. It'll be three years this April. But in my case, I knew who came home with me. And so would you say that that's accurate with you too? Did you did you know who came home with you like when this happened to you? Uh, no, the attachment I got, no, I was investigating in another area. I was on my own at the time. Um but, uh, yeah, I had no idea who it was. So I had two healers, uh, spiritual healers, get rid of it for me. And uh, they said it wasn't a very nice one. <laughs> they did tell me what his name was, but it was no one I knew. So Yeah, he wasn't very nice. So what were you dealing with? It just made me moody. And that's how oh. I knew something, something was off, because yeah. that's not me at all. Yeah, well, thank goodness for people like that you know who came to help you because I had to seek the same help I had to have somebody actually help me get rid of whatever it was and it's interesting because to this day I still have issues I still have respiratory issues I have to use an inhaler at times when I never had to use one before in my entire life and Mm. so it's generally most of them can't but those who can will and that's generally because they their whole purpose is to cause havoc. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they, you know, if they were nasty in life, they'll be nasty on the other side. And yeah, you know, you're not going to change their personality just because they died. Right. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> so, Ian, where you are, I mean, there's just so much going on in the book. You talk a bit about a location called the cage and that's going to be an episode all on its own in the future where you and hopefully Tony and hopefully your friend, the 
the owner or former owner? She used to be the owner. Yeah, she owned it. Uh, yeah. She actually, yeah, she owned it. Lived there for two years and moved out because of the activity. And yeah. Hired it out for right. Yeah, and so real quick, I know you'll go into more detail about that when we do the invest the episode about that. But real quick, talk if you will about the history about that place. It was a medieval witch's prison built back in 1864, I think. Oh, no, 1784. Let's get this right. <laughs> <laughs> there were two uh, witches that were executed there, mm. but it's now uh, it's now just a house, um, but it still has the shackles and the chains hanging on the walls. Wow. But uh, as I said to you, when I messaged you earlier, uh, Chris Fleming was over, Barry Guy. He found an altar under the f- under the table, which was quite extreme because when we were there, uh, myself and MJ Dixon both put our phones on the t- dining room table and the batteries died. <laughs> and then we took EVP recorders out and the same thing happened. And that's exactly where they found the altar. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Yeah, that's so bizarre that here this hidden altar is and all your equipment's malfunctioning or dying. And that's the worst. That's like, I I hate it when I'm like, okay, I know there's fresh batteries in these. The power was full, you know, it was fully charged and now, boom, nothing. And then as soon as you leave the area, of course, everything's up and running again. <laughs> yeah. I've got so many rechargeable batteries now, it's unreal. I just don't buy the normal ones anymore. <laughs> yeah, waste of money for sure. I guess you've heard of the Black Monk Chaos, have you? I might have, but t- talk about that. I'd love to hear about that. Bertie East Drive. Um, Nick Guelph and Katrina Wildman investigated there. Mm. I spent three days and two nights up there with another team. Um, and we had some interesting activity. Oh, yeah? Like what? I'd love to hear that. <laughs> we had the keys jangling. It was funny because a lot of stuff happened during the day. We had keys jangling the door. The door handle went down on its own. I know when Karen was there on the two days after I left, a pen flew across from one room to another, from a room that no one was in. <laughs> and we had uh, we were live streaming from about 9 o'clock at night till 5 in the morning. And we had a knock at the door, I think it was the second night, and two policemen said, oh, we were passing by, saw the lights on, came to see what you were doing. So we invited them in, showed them around the place, and one of them was saying how he was a sceptic, didn't believe in ghosts, and then the other guy started telling us a funny story, and we all laughed, and when we stopped laughing, a little girl laughed in the hallway, <laughs> both the policemen they both looked down the hall then looked back at us and went did you hear that and we went yeah you're a skeptic <laughs> <laughs> so he, he came in a skeptic and left a believer I imagine well he left a bit confused <laughs> and uh, not quite sure what to what to think <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah that house actually made a film about it. It was it's called When the Lights Go Out. Oh, okay. The uh, case it happened in the seventies. 
uh, the daughter that lived in the house was actually dragged up the stairs by her hair. Oh, jeez. As a as a clock on the top of the stairs that got thrown down the stairs. The father was locked in the coal shed. Numerous amount of things, and this this black monk has been seen. Yeah, it's just a, a very weird, active place. It's, yeah. You know, we've, we've not had the activity that the family had in the 70s, but there is definitely something going on there. Right. And do you think, do you personally think that it's just the black monk, or do you think that there's another spirit there? Actually, the father, he had a heart attack and died in the bathroom. Mm. So, and he's there. Uh, people have picked him up there, and there's a doll in the house that apparently moves on its own. Although yeah. we tried to talk, we tried to taunt her with a, a Chucky doll, but it didn't work. I sure hope that they lower their restrictions soon, so you're able to get back out and do some investigating. Because I could only imagine how you're feeling two and a half years and no investigating. That has to be oh. driving you bonkers. Yeah, it is. It's funny because when you're investigating, you have to go through all the footage and audio and you sit there thinking, oh my God, why do I do this? But then when you can't do it, it's suddenly like, well, I've got all your spare time. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, or craving to do it. But um, yeah, it's, it's just getting out and helping people. It's, you know, it's, it's a real buzz to know that you've helped another family and. You know, we haven't had that buzz for two and a half years. But. Right. And I know that the case never actually closes. Like, you you continue to check in on the people. You continue to check in on the families and make sure that everything is, you know, nice and peaceful at home. And have there been many times where somebody's called you up and said, you need to come back over here right now. Something's happening or it's gotten worse. Yeah, we have a family. Uh, that particular house with the White Star, uh, They, after we dealt with that, they moved away to another house, and then they had activity there. Mm. And it turns out the youngest son is a sensitive. Anyone who's a sensitive or a medium will tell you once it's known, they're like a beacon. Um, so <laughs> you find yourself... Yeah, going in, dealing with one situation, go away, everything's fine for six months, and then all of a sudden something else happens. It's a constant thing. But he's getting to an age now where we can start teaching him how to control it. Yeah. My fingers crossed when we get back to that, we can get onto that. Right. Well, and it makes me wonder if, like, in this day and age where there's Zoom or you know, video messenger like we're doing right now. I wonder if, I know some people will do it where if they're not there, they are kind of like, you know, doing like what we're doing. And I don't know if that even would work or not. But I, it's interesting because uh, speaking of like, you know, doing something like this, the video thing, um, when I had my radio show, I had Claire on. And she was talking about her, I believe it was her father who had, I think he had recently passed at that point, maybe. And as she's talking about him, she was by herself, mind you, at the house in her office and nobody was around. And all of a sudden you see this like shadow dart behind her. 
And it was really cool because it happened like three times. And I, wow. I told her and she's like, oh, wow, yeah, that was probably him. But I guess you just never know. It might be something to think about. Like, you know, just maybe test the waters by doing something like that. Yeah, we have done cases by Zoom. We actually did a case in America over FaceTime. Really? So, cool. Yeah, we did one in France as well. So, yeah, we can do it. How did those cases go? Yeah, problem solved. Nice. We like to be there. Yeah. You, know, you get sent for the place. It's a bit harder to read a situation when you're not actually there. Right. No, it's all right for the mediums, but as far as an investigative site, you can't sense the atmosphere changing. You, you know, you right. can't feel old spots. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It can be done, but yeah, yeah. I prefer to actually be there. Yeah. No, that's neat that you did a case in the States and in France. And, well, Ian, you know, it is always such a pleasure talking with you, my friend. And I always enjoy having you on as a guest and a voiceover. Yeah, it's always a pleasure to come on. Super friendly guy. Always have a great time talking with Ian. So big shout out to Ian Vero for giving us an inside look to some of those cases. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes. Listen to the others, guys. They are all phenomenally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, my friends. Just head on over to any of those podcast platforms, such as Pocket Cast, Pod Bay, Pod Chaser, Stitcher, Deezer, Tune in radio, wherever you may roam, to listen to your spine-tingling podcast. You'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shout-outs go to North Naples, Florida, Auckland, New Zealand, Butler, Indiana, Imperial, California, and Rensselaer, New York. As always, thanks so much for stopping by. It's greatly appreciated. Do you yourself have a spooky experience to share? Or perhaps you have a topic idea for an episode or want to be a voiceover? Please reach out to me at paraprowl at gmail.com or find me or find me on the Paranormal Prowlers podcast Facebook page. Thanks you guys and we will see you next week.